Have I done enough? Have I done enough? There I was, sat in the driver's seat of a blue Renault Clio, in the car park of the testing centre in Letchworth Garden City, North Arts. I remember the day like it was yesterday, the rain lashing down the whole time I was in the car. I remember it like it was yesterday, why? Because so much was dependent on that one moment. As I sat there next to the driving instructor, waiting, had I passed my driving test? Had I done enough? In that moment, the instructor seemed to milk it as he looked through his papers, took the moment to consider all that had happened. I'm sure he loved the power. I looked across at him. Every part of me was hanging off his body language. Anything that he, he might do. I was desperate. Had I done enough? Had I made any mistakes? Was, was I convincing in my mirror checks? Had I gone over the speed limit? It was all down to me. Had I done enough? The instructor definitely enjoyed the moment that he turned to me and he said, well, I'm afraid it's going to be an expensive month for you. You've passed your driving test. And in that moment, joy, because so much was dependent on that one moment. I'd done enough. I'm sure you can think of a moment where you've asked yourself that question. Have I done enough? Exam results, waiting for the results. Have I done enough? Waiting to hear if your mortgage has been approved. Have I done enough? Working out if you've prepared your children well enough to start school this week. Have I done enough? keeping my job, when the company's making huge cuts, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I made a big enough impact with the opportunities I've had in life? Have I done enough? Well, I wonder as you look across your whole life, you ask that question, have I done enough for God to be pleased with me? Have I done enough? Through the summer, we've been looking at these encounters with Jesus through the book of Luke. And this evening, we meet another one of these individuals. Here we meet a man who meets Jesus and he thinks it's the opportune moment to ask this question. Have I done enough? Look down what he says. Keep it open. It'll really help if you keep that passage open. Look at verse 18. What must I do to inherit eternal life? See what he's asking? Have I done enough to go to heaven? But, but you notice the way he asks. The emphasis, it's on him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And you see this man, he's convinced that he is good enough. He comes to Jesus, he wants a pat on the back. And in some sense, we'd say, well, he's pretty right to do so. He's respectable. He's good at what he does. He's rich. He's a ruler. 
and he encounters Jesus and he thinks it's all about how good you are. That's quite normal, isn't it? When we talk about driving tests, job success, sporting success, we base our opinion on people on performance. Oh, well, she passed her driving test first time. She must be good value. Well, he's got a good university degree. He's worth having. And we do it on ourselves. When I'm successful at something, I'm pleased with myself. And it means that we flick between feeling confident and insecure. As I sat there in the seat in my driving test, looking at the instructor, in those short 10 seconds that felt like a lifetime, I was thinking at the same time, well, that was basically a perfect drive. There's no way I could fail. And at the very same time, I was thinking to myself, I've only had like eight lessons. I'm reckless. There's, there's no way he could pass me. Maybe that's how you approach God. Pretty confident, like this man that encounters Jesus. Or on the other side, maybe you're so afraid because you're convinced you're not good enough. Or maybe you're prone to returning to one of those ways. There's a real danger, whether you wouldn't say you follow Jesus, or if you follow Jesus for years and years and years, there's a real danger that we revert back to thinking that how we approach God is based on how good we are. For this man, the question is, have I done enough? Am I good enough? See, he operates in a performance mindset. He values competence. And he thinks that that way of approaching God will work too. But you see, Jesus wants to challenge his perception of how we approach God, how it works. But you see, Jesus, he knows that this is going to be a tricky man to get the message to. The performance mentality runs deep. Maybe you can think of someone you know that's obsessed with being right. Someone that's preoccupied with being proven to have done a good job. Someone who's competent, efficient, respectable. And that one moment where you try and help them see that they've made a small mistake, it's like they're blind. They seem incapable of recognising any fault. Or maybe someone that's so consumed with doing enough, being good enough, because they feel like they're not. And whenever you just try to build them up just a little bit, give them a subtle nudge, a compliment, it's like they don't even hear it because they're so insecure about their failings. Or maybe that's you, one of those two. And at times it will be, for all of us, either of those two, consumed by personal performance. Have I done enough? And Jesus sees this man, he recognises this performance mentality and he wants to address it. So his response, it's a bit bizarre. Look at verse 19. Why do you call me good? 
no one is good but God alone. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's planting the seed that, that people aren't perfect. He's gently challenging the perception of what good is. Without fully revealing his identity, Jesus, without shooting this man down completely, because I'm sure then he wouldn't have listened. Instead, gently engaging him in a conversation where he just challenges this man's understanding. Well, what does good really look like? And then Jesus does an interesting thing. Look at verse 20. You know the commandments. Jesus affirms his status. This man would have been a well-respected Jewish ruler, a leader, someone that would have known the commandments. In fact, known the commandments far more than any of us, inside out. So what Jesus does is interesting. There's 10 commandments, four that describe how people operate in relation to God, and six describing how people operate in relation to each other in the world. Jesus goes for the six. But notice what he does. Count them as I read them. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. Five. There's one missing. The one missing is do not cover. It's about being obsessed with money or things rather than loving God. But you see, the man doesn't recognise Jesus' subtle message. Because what Jesus is doing is he's asking the question, do you think you're good enough for God's law? And of course, when met with that question, what does the man want to do? He wants to answer confidently, proudly. Look at verse 21. All these I have kept since I was a boy. He's confident. So confident he's blind to the fact that he couldn't have possibly kept them five commands perfectly. He's blind to the fact that, that Jesus hasn't mentioned one key command that relates to, to something so specific to this man. He's blind to the fact that Jesus hasn't got near the commands that relate to how he's to interact with God. So Jesus gives him this challenge. He changes tact a little bit. Look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And you might read that and think, well, Jesus, that's an odd way to go about it. If you're trying to challenge this man's perception of what he's got to do to earn God's favour. If, if Jesus is trying to challenge his perception or, or his performance mentality. Doesn't Jesus just give this man another thing to do? To sell his possessions? Surely that won't help. But look back at the verse. Do you notice what the purpose is? Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus wants the man to follow him. But look at the man's response, verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. See, Jesus shows him he's not just wealthy, but he loves his wealth. He covets things. The 
prospect of giving up what he owned, it made him very sad. You see, what Jesus does is he doesn't just give him another thing to do. He shows this man the very thing that's stopping him following Jesus. But to make absolutely sure this man's in no doubt about what's going on, look at verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he uses this picture, verse 25. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What a ridiculous picture Jesus uses. It's, it's stupid. The biggest animal that they'd have been familiar with at that time through the eye of a needle, I didn't even know, the eye of a needle, the end bit of a needle. Maybe that's obvious. What a ridiculous picture. What's Jesus saying? It's just impossible. A camel isn't going to get through. It's impossible for you to be good enough, Jesus says to the man. And it's not just about money. The reality is Jesus could have looked at this man and picked any one of the laws that he's incapable of keeping. But the point he's making to this man, who's stooped in a performance mentality, who couldn't possibly see outside of it. The point Jesus is making this evening to the person obsessed with being good enough, to the person sure they're doing okay, to, to the person preoccupied with being accepted by what they do, to the person who'd be desperate to describe themselves as competent, to the person who thinks they're doing just fine, Jesus looks at you and I and says, in your own efforts, it is impossible for you to be good enough for God. You can imagine the moment in the crowd that Jesus drops that bombshell. Silence. Slight awkwardness. This respectable man, exposed by Jesus, not good enough, impossible. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've got to give feedback on some reading you've done. Maybe you haven't done that since GCSE English and it was Shakespeare, or maybe more recently in a seminar at university or work. And for whatever reason, you go into it and you're just slightly underprepared, or maybe more than slightly. Probably happened to me too many times in my education. And, and there's always someone in the group that you can rely on, that you can bank on to have done the reading. In my computer science degree, it was a guy called Gareth. And here's a trick I worked out. Whenever you enter a room where you know you've got to give feedback like that, just position yourself next to Gareth. Because then as the lecturer, or whoever it is who's collecting feedback, um, gazes around the, the room, just picks his eye on Gareth, never looks, never looks along. But you can guarantee when you're sat in the room and you're just feeling slightly underprepared, your palms are sweating, you're nervous, 
you're sat there, everything in you doesn't want it to come to you, avoiding eye contact. Why? Because you don't want to be exposed. And in that moment, just imagine they go to the person next to you, Gareth, we can bank on him. They ask a question about what you've read. Gareth answers, sounds pretty plausible. But the lecturer, or whoever it is, says, you've clearly not done the reading. Someone else. In that moment, there's awkwardness. There's silence. You get that sinking feeling. If anyone has done the reading, if anyone was we could bank on, it was Gareth. And then there's a moment of realization. If not even Gareth has read it properly, we are doomed. Jesus says it's impossible to be good enough. Maybe that's a bit of a shock. It certainly doesn't sit very nicely. And look at the crowd. Look at verse 26. There's a tone of outrage and confusion. Who then can be saved if not even this rich, respectable, competent, nice guy, if not even he is good enough? Well, then we're doomed. If not even this man is good enough, well, then who then can be saved? And maybe that's been a real barrier to you accepting the Christian message. Maybe you still struggle with that. Me? Not good enough? Really? But I think the sticking point is not whether we're good enough for a perfect God. Because when we're honest, behind a nice exterior, we know that we're prone to selfish thoughts. We know that we're prone to hating others. We know that we're prone to thinking in a way that rejects God. And that sometimes comes out in our words and our actions. The issue is not that we can't see that we're not perfect. The issue is that we don't like to be exposed. How can Jesus look at me and say, you are not good enough and give me no way to be good enough? Surely I'm better than half my friends. Surely I'm better than the people that live in my street. Surely I'm better than the people I work with. Surely I deserve some kind of credit here. And at that point in the encounter, when there's outrage, when it's unresolved, it's here when Jesus pulls together what he's been saying. All along the way, the man that's been obsessed by his own performance, all along the way, Jesus, he's been saying, it's not about you. Look at verse 19. Have a look back. What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus is saying to this man, do you not see I am God and I am the only one good enough? Jesus is pointing to himself. Verse 22, what did Jesus say? Then come, follow me. The solution, he's pointing to himself. I'm the one who is good enough. And when we come to verse 27, Jesus pulls together his solution, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
Jesus is saying, it's possible with me. He's pointing to himself. Because Jesus came to earth not just to point the finger at people like this man, not just to point the finger at you and me and say, you are not good enough, not just to do that. He came to earth and lived as the only perfect man, the only person to ever live perfectly to every one of God's laws. Jesus is good enough. The man's original question, what must I do? He asks it so presumptuously, like he's sure he's going to make the grade. But Jesus makes it so clear. The entry requirement for heaven, the place a man wants to go, is absolute perfection. It has to be. In order to, for God to be perfectly good, he couldn't have anything short of perfection. There's no way that I meet that standard. There's no way that any one of us meets that standard. But if we follow Jesus, then we accept his great offer. His perfect life for my failed one. When Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced the consequence of a life that falls short of God's perfect standard. So that if we follow him, when we die, we experience the consequence of a life that's lived perfectly before God. Not our own, but Jesus's. What is impossible with man is possible with God. See, at the very root of the Christian faith is this truth. Jesus looks at you and he says, you are not good enough. But you can come with me and be accepted because of what I've done. And tonight, that might be the first time you've heard that. It might be the most mind-blowing news you've ever heard. Well, please accept it. Or more likely, you've probably heard it a hundred times before. In fact, you've probably heard it so many times that you can't hear it. So much so that you're so tempted to revert back to that performance mentality. In fact, you didn't want to come to church tonight because of how you'd spoken to your family earlier. You are not good enough. You didn't want to open your Bible this week because you're embarrassed how you spent your money. You're not good enough. You didn't want to speak to God in prayer because you're ashamed of what you've been thinking about. You are not good enough. But no, Jesus says, you are not good enough, but come with me. Because of what Jesus has done, God accepts us. And in his grace, he transforms us to be more and more like Jesus. When you trust in Jesus, your status is not based on anything you've done. It's not based on if you've done enough. So whether you hear this for the first time tonight or the millionth time, you can guarantee tomorrow you need to know this truth. And the day after, and the day after. Look at verse 28. At this point, Peter, he chimes in on the conversation. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Jesus says, if 
you follow me. Your position before God is absolutely guaranteed. Do you see that in those words? No one who follows me will fail to inherit eternal life. No one who follows me will fail to inherit eternal life. Whether you're prone to overconfident performance mentality that leaves you obsessed with how good your performance was, or you're crippled by insecurities about your own performance. Jesus says the solution today and tomorrow and the day after is following him. To make the choice daily to follow him, not based on anything that we've done, but because of what he's done for us. And it's then that you're met with the words in verse 28 and 29, no one will fail. No one will fail. Instead of it being impossible to do enough, it's impossible to fail to inherit eternal life. It's impossible to fail to inherit eternal life. To go to be with God forever. What must I do? The question. Well, it's impossible for me to do enough, but you will not fail, Jesus says, if you follow him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that the Christian faith the message that Jesus gives us this evening allows us to be so honest with ourselves that we are not good enough. And yet the Lord Jesus gives us an absolute guarantee of going to be with you forever. Lord, please would you help us this evening, even if it's for the first time, to trust in what Jesus has done and not our own performance. And Lord, for the days, weeks, months, years to come, please would you help us to live by this simple, simple truth that's so hard to remember. Amen.